Welcome to Pullback, the podcast that digs into the ethics behind everyday choices. Pullback is a proud member of the Harbinger Media Network of Podcasts, which you can find at Kyla. <laughs> HarbingerMediaNetwork.com. <laughs> I'm Kristen Pugh. I'm here with Kyla Hewson. Hey! Today we are joined by Kristen Allen and uh, Casey Kulzik of Manic Pixie Dream Coffee. Uh, it's an ethical coffee roaster. So hello, how are you doing? Good! Yeah, fantastic. Kristen knows that I'm not a huge coffee drinker, but you know what? I've been in charge of making the coffee for my coworkers because I get there first thing in the morning and I don't drink it. And so like... One time I decided to filter it twice because I was like, oh, I wonder if you can get like twice the coffee out of this. And the answer is no. I got told <laughs> by a few people that I made very shit coffee that morning. <laughs> They're like, you made brown water. And I was like, okay, good. Now I know. <laughs> I like that. That's, uh, yeah, that's that's very yield sensitive. I like that. <laughs> so, I mean, we've established that Kyla knows nothing about coffee, um, but you focus <laughs> quite a lot. So I wonder if you, if you could tell us a little bit about your journey. So um, how did you get into coffee roasting? You know, why coffee? Give us the details. So I was working in the restaurant industry in Toronto, long 12-hour shifts. And I hadn't actually drank much coffee growing up because I only knew about Tim Hortons and Folgers. And I was like, this coffee is no good. <laughs> so I'm not going <laughs> to, I don't like coffee. I'm not going to drink it. But at this restaurant, they actually had Blue Mountain coffee, which is yeah. considered some of the best uh, coffee in the world. And I was like, oh, this is this is actually good. Maybe I do like coffee. <laughs> and um, in Toronto, there, there was also so many coffee shops. So I was actually exposed to um, some, some roasters there. Uh, Pilot is a pretty famous roaster. And their first coffee shop was right down the road from me. So... Yeah, that's kind of got us into it. Um, generally, just drinking coffee, and then uh, we end up taking a trip to uh, Southeast Asia. And on our trip, uh, we went to Bali, and we saw coffee actually grown in on a oh. coffee plantation. Then we came back, and we're like, "How come we never see Balinese coffee?" And uh, we ended up starting our coffee roasting company. Why don't you ever see Balinese coffee? Where is it? Uh, we had a Balinese coffee. <laughs> <laughs> Neat. All right. So it all started with 12-hour shifts. <laughs> Kicked off the coffee dream. One would say it all started from 12-hour shifts and still continues to some case be 12-hour shifts. <laughs> mm -hmm. It's something we do as a passion and it's an awesome growing business. But uh, to say that uh, we're completely funded by the business would be incorrect. So there's... Uh, Lots of day job action and lots of uh, afternoon job action and evening job action and all those kind of things. So, yeah, but it's uh, it's been, to your point, a fantastic journey so far. I wonder if you could tell me a little bit. So I've, I don't know a lot about what it is to be a coffee roaster. So could you tell us a little bit about how the business started, what a coffee roaster does, <laughs> basics? <laughs> Yeah, so it's it's always an interesting question because that's essentially how we started um, after we started exploring it. It's not something that's terribly well written about. It's not something that you can really uh, go to school for. It's not something that's a, an apprenticeship like other trades. We've uh, we've kind of honestly been self taught and learn on the fly. We 
you know, meet other people in the industry, make colleagues, pick people's brain, you know, read and research where we can. But ultimately, it's been a lot of our own uh, trial and error and, and experience getting to know the situation. But yeah, it's it's a it's a pretty simple process. Essentially, you know, it's it's why I think it fits so well into uh, Kristen's purview. Is it's it's essentially cooking. It's essentially baking. It's it's roasting. It's a type of cooking. So we uh, on our side of the operation, we start with green beans, which is already a finished product from the farming uh, aspect. Uh, and quite simply, without getting too technical, we have a, a roaster. It has a rotating drum in it to keep everything active. So, you know, just like stirring a pot so it doesn't burn. Uh, and then we can manage how the heat uh, is applied, when it's applied, what the temperatures are. And that allows us to uh, create the profiles that suit each coffee, whether it's coming from a particular country or a particular region or it's done in a certain style. The whole process for us, one batch, let's say, of coffee, uh, which in our situation could be about you know twenty of our bags, it, it's only about a fifteen minute process. So uh, it's pretty quick, but it's uh, yeah, it's kind of involved during that time. And then uh, from there, yeah, we 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 sell it uh, uh, as as fresh as possible and uh, allow people to enjoy it at that point. So yeah, very much the the, the layman's kind of guide to it. But yeah, it's in essence, quite simple. I'm curious, like, are there, so you were saying that there are things you need to think about in terms of like coffee style and like where coffee's coming from. Um, could you dig into that a little bit more? I'm really curious about it. Yeah. So, you know, a lot of the things like if you're, you know, like we have say tech sheets and we have lots of information on where the coffee comes from. Uh, so a lot of different aspects can affect that. So literally where the coffee is grown in the world, where the coffee is grown in that country, where it is grown in that region, all the way down to the simplest things as what is the slope or the aspect? Is it grown with other crops? Is there some aspect of shade or, you know, is elevation, is it high elevation, is it lower elevation? What variety is it? So much like a winemaker, uh, so many of these things are, are just so similar. It's definitely where you know, one of my core interests in coffee came from was the similarity uh, to wine. But, you know, in wine, we talk about this kind of ether concept called terroir. And really, it's very similar in coffee. And that's where a lot of uh, the core style differences come from coffee. Of course, from there, you can obviously have different roasts. So you can roast them lighter, you can roast them darker, you can roast them in between. Uh, and that range uh, is very big. Yeah. And that's kind of how the style can I is. Inter can I interject? Absolutely. That? I was just going to say uh, also, he's talking about how uh, different things can affect the bean. So when we get the beans, sometimes they can be huge. Sometimes they can be little. Sometimes they can be more mm -hmm. densely packed. And sometimes they're uh, less densely packed. And that's what really affects the roast itself. Um, so if we're talking about dense beans, it could take longer for the internal uh, temperature of the coffee to cook. And so if you do it too hot, too fast, you're going to end up with a green bean. So sometimes you maybe get a coffee and you, I, I get people tell me, oh, not, not, I don't like light roast coffee. Sometimes you'll get a coffee and it's roasted a little light and you're getting almost these like hay grassy notes, right? And it's like undercooking like a pot of beans. If you undercook like a pot of kidney beans or something, it's going to taste like, you know, like a little bit funny on the inside. And that's similar with coffee beans. 
Oh, that's so interesting. <laughs> yeah, again, we could talk for hours and days about this, but yes. in essence, it's it's you know it's very core simple things. It's where is it and how do people uh, plant it and grow it at origin, and then what do we do with it when we get it? As far as you know, mm-hmm. temperature and activity with the roaster on our side. That's a you know it doesn't sound like much, but that's a huge spectrum of things that can that can mm-hmm. change. So you've you've told us already that you you did have some Balinese coffee, but where else do you source your coffee from? Uh, So we've gotten it from all different places. Uh, So we tend to just try to get a a different roast every time in different places, different um, processing methods. It's something we didn't even really touch touch on, but, uh, you know, coffee is starts as a cherry and then it becomes a green bean uh, when it comes to can when we roast it. So to get it from the cherry to that bean state, you can do so many different things with it. Um, so we're always just trying to like pick unique coffees and um, coffees that are uh, from different, yeah, from different lo- like pieces, terroirs and locations. Yeah. So we started out doing more just different places. And then um, we actually went on a trip to Honduras and we met a farmer and now we get the majority of our coffees from Honduras, uh, direct trade. So by doing this, we can support one far- farmer so much more than if we're just picking up random coffees. Um, so we still do do that. But uh, yeah, we get most of it from Honduras. And then we've gotten from Africa, Ethiopia, and uh, Uganda, as well as, you know, Colombia. And uh, where else have we got from Papua New Guinea? All different places. <laughs> Wow, that's super cool. Um, so we're going to talk more, I think, about the direct trade um, a little bit later. But I'm, I'm wondering for other than Honduras, um, how did you sort of decide where to get your coffee from? It's a good question. You know, I think probably a, a, a very simple original answer is what did we like drinking? And, you know, mm-hmm. you know, it's, it's very much a taste uh, kind of comment of objective taste. So, you know, I think Kristen and I, uh, when we started kind of down the path of specialty coffee and, and, and in that kind of world, we were fairly drawn to uh, coffees from, say, Ethiopia jumps to mind right away. Mm-hmm. And then like all good interests, you know, if you enjoy it, it becomes a passion, it becomes a hobby and you just try and, you know, collect information and experiences like, you know, Pokemon basically. So um, you start saying, okay, I haven't had a coffee from there. I haven't had a coffee from here. Oh, here's someone doing something different and interesting. And then when it came to us starting the business, we kind of drew back on the things that we enjoyed, whether it be the coffee and the flavor itself, the story of where it came from, how it came to be, what other kind of aspects, whether as you said, whether it's how it was sourced, how the transparency in the chain worked, you know, how the money was being used to support, you know, different situations, whether it be uh, communities, farmers, farms, you know, so those things all kind of resonated with us. And, and then we've kind of grown from there. And that's what, to Kristen's point earlier, that's how we ended up going to origin, because the only thing that made sense was, if we're going to do this and these are things we're interested in, we need to get to this place. And we went there just, you know, like, again, we wish to do more of it. Obviously this, you know, the thing has been happening for two years. That's um, kind of 
uh, challenged our, our travel plans. Uh, and we'd only really just begun this kind of path of, of seeing more places and understanding how they operate. Um, but we're, we're really lucky to have gone when we did and, and the experiences we got to have and ultimately the relationships we formed. Also, also, I wanted to add about source, but sourcing. So he mentioned another thing that dictates where we get coffee from. So we do, we do usually look into like coffees from certain locations that we want and people that we think, you know, are getting good coffee from that place and are ethically sourcing coffee from that place. But yeah, we are kind of limited to what people have. So if we find someone we like, uh, that we think is getting good quality coffee and they are primarily El Salvador buyers, then that's probably something we're going to look into. Um, and if they're growing great quality coffee or they're sourcing great quality coffee from El Salvador, then we know that that coffee is going to be really good. So, you know, we will have a label for El Salvador. So we, we have a lot of flexibility in that way. I'm curious about, I know I'm jumping ahead a little bit, but since we're talking about sourcing, I'm curious about how the relationship sort of unfolded? Like, how did you start from we're on this trip to now we have a relationship with a supplier? What did that look like? Yeah, that was just kind of a whirlwind. Uh, and I think we just kind of got lucky, right? Yeah. So it's kind of a funny story. We actually, like all good traveling, we, we were inspired to go there by the coffee business, but we were excited to see you know, Honduras, which interestingly, we actually went to Guatemala primarily. Honduras was only like a couple days to go and, and see uh, some, some different aspects near the Guatemalan border. And like, I think a lot of good relationships start, we ran into another Canadian at a bar <laughs> in Copan Ruinas, Honduras. And he's like, hey, what are you guys doing here? You're from Canada. I can't believe that I'm from there too. And I live here now. And you know, that patriotism came out and we were like, oh, like we're here on a trip, but we're, you know, we're specifically here as coffee roasters hoping to, you know, witness the process and, and, and be as much part of it and understand more from a ground level of, of how this product comes to be. And he's like, oh, funny, that's what I do. You know, I am a direct exporter for Honduran coffee and I work specifically with like these small farms I can introduce you to someone and that's exactly what happened. And that's how the relationship started. And we've since taken that relationship like directly to him. It was basically an introduction. So now it's just, we, we talk with uh, his name's Erlen all the time. And uh, yeah, that's, that's how that one started. And uh, you know, who knows how the next one will start, but uh, we're excited to find out. Wow. What, what, uh, what luck. That's the odds of that are really astronomical. <laughs> I wonder if you could tell me a little bit more about Manic Pixie Dream Coffee and what, um, you know, what values or what story you associate with your company. So actually, I'm going to let Casey answer that too, because he did name it because we were looking for a name for a long time. And uh, yeah, Casey came up with this kind of interesting name. <laughs> yeah, it's definitely um, a mouthful, <laughs> um, but almost by design. We, when we were looking for a name and, and, and obviously there's more to the, the, what we do than just the name, but like the name story, one of the things was, and it's funny, at least we noticed this, every coffee company kind of has the same brand and the same name. Everyone has like a, a gray bag with flecks of orange or yellow or green on it. They have the same label with some information that, you know, is important, but all just kind of looks the same. And they are all one word 
companies. I'm not going to name any of them out, but uh, <laughs> Don't feel feel free to look. They're all kind of just one word, and they all tend to have something to do with travel in them or parts of an airplane. So we didn't really <laughs> want to follow that trend. So we we played around, and out of nowhere, we came up with Manic Pixie Dream Coffee. It fit for us because for those we won't go into it, but basically it's a, it's it's a film trope or or a or a, a literary trope of basically this person, uh, the manic pixie dream person, who is this sort of uh, unattainable beacon of perfection. They're always being sought after. They can be seen as doing no wrong in the eye of the beholder. And I kind of like was like, well, wait a second. Isn't that sort of coffee? Like it's, yeah, you know, but it's, it's, it can, it, it may not be the perfect substance. Neither is the person who typically represents this trope. But on the other hand, you're always kind of looking for your morning coffee or your afternoon pick me up. You always kind of remember having an awesome coffee or an awesome conversation with someone. And you might even remember it better than it was. And it's like, well, wait a second, there's something here. And we had in our mind sort of three categories of coffee we wanted to uh, explore. And Manic, Pixie, and Dream weirdly actually fit the profiles we were looking for. So Manic is our really kind of rare, incredibly unique, very typically small lot, you know, sometimes... Uh, very expensive coffee, something that's very different, very unique in a, in, in a process or a variety or a place or something to that effect. Uh, and they are rare, so they do come out quite infrequently uh, in our, our portfolio. I love how nerdy this this title is that you've gone with. <laughs> like you made a Pokemon reference earlier, and I was like, "Man, this is my kind of coffee." <laughs> but sorry, I interrupted you. Were you going to tell us about Pixie? <laughs> no, yeah, I love it. I love it. I love hearing positive feedback on the name. <laughs> yeah, it's uh, yeah, it's 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 definitely a love or hate name. We'll uh, <laughs> we'll admit to that. Some people are like, "Why didn't you just make it more simple?" It's like, that's eh, not what we wanted. <laughs> but anyway, so yeah, and then pixies are like everyday coffee. You know, it's pixie. Like you think of like you know the the wings in our logo, which are pixie wings, and you think of like a forest pixie, and this kind of just very like easygoing everyday kind of ethereal little being and it's the same with the coffees this easygoing interesting just coffees you want to enjoy and they're kind of our, our our everyday offerings and then uh dream worked out great because we wanted to have a line where we could explore what coffee uh could be to us or or in in process or in handling on our side uh, at this moment of the coffee chain so as it stands, we've done a few different things, but basically we do a lot of uh, infusions. Um, and that's where right now kind of the most popular coffee are, are barrel-aged coffees where we work with uh, different local uh, distilleries and we match our coffees to their spirits. And we kind of look to enhance um, the characters and and it works really well. So th that's really kind of like, what can we do? How can we play with coffee? We've tried a lot of things that haven't worked and they don't make it to the website. Uh, but yeah, that's sort of what it is. So, and then the coffee portion is, well, coffee. <laughs> and then uh, basically the thing with our business is we decided from the very get-go that we wanted 
the coffees to always be higher quality. You get told at the beginning when you have a coffee business, if you want to make money, you should blend your coffees. So you'll see a lot of people, they have a few different uh, blends together. They'll have like a Colombia mixed with a Brazil mixed with an Ethiopia. I, I'm just, that that is one you will see. And that's because coffees from different places cost different amounts of money. And it's also a way to kind of maybe put a coffee, it's a lower quality in there and um, you won't <clears throat> notice it as much, right? So uh, we decided right away we didn't want to do that. We wanted to do single origin. So all our coffees come from a specific place. And we also decided right away that we want all our coffees to be ethically sourced. So we pay more money for our coffee. And uh, I think people can tell we get a lot of positive feedback on on the flavor of the coffee. So, you know, I think I think it's it's good for both things. It makes us feel good because the coffee is representative of the place and people are being paid fairly. But also it means that. Uh, sorry, I lost my train of thought. But anyway, so it, it's it's just the best. It's It makes us feel the best about the coffee. So that's that's kind of our. our um yeah, the backbones of, of Manic Pixies, always single origin and always good quality coffee, ethically sourced. I like that. I feel like ethical companies oftentimes feel very serious, but you guys clearly have a lot of fun with it as well. So that's really cool. <laughs> yeah, it's it's again, like the, the, the origin thing is simple to us because it's just what we want to do. And I think, um, you know, it's been, a, you know, we've definitely had some tough times getting going or you know, still a very young company in the grand scheme of things, but Mm -hmm. you know, it's important. I think that you stick to what you want to accomplish and, you know, Kristen said it, we're not, we're not in a race for the bottom. And typically when you're racing to the bottom, that's when you start taking shortcuts. That's when you have to start finding other ways of, you know, profiting. And, you know, and that's when you get into situations where you're manipulating things cleverly if you want to put it that way, to try and maximize your profit because the margins are so little. So it's been a little bit of a slower growth, I think, because we don't have any interest in that. It doesn't really come, yeah, it doesn't come off as hard. It's funny you mentioned that. It's just sort of what we do. It's not like this grand conversation we have where it's like, okay, well, well we got to make sure we follow this. It's just, just sort of that's how we feel. That's how, that's how we like coffee. We always like single origin coffee, so... And he's a winemaker and he appreciates wine coming from a specific place and tasting like that specific place. So that actually the wine reminds me of a question I had earlier, which is um, in terms of your sort of barrel aged line, best alcohol that pairs with coffee, worst alcohol for pairing with coffee. <laughs> yeah, I think, well, we tend to do a lot of whiskey. There's obviously a lot of really good Canadian whiskeys out there. Maybe that's our answer. Yeah. And that, I guess I guess it's a classic, right? Irish whiskey or Irish coffee, right? That's the classic huh. coffee drink. <laughs> don't want to call out any worst ones. That's okay. <laughs> well, worst ones? I don't know. I'm trying to think of anything that would be really, I don't know. I guess vodka because it's boring. Uh, but you, it has to be a barrel. Yeah, it has to be something that's aged. Yeah. So you got to start off with an aged, aged uh, alcohol. But I, I really love to do more different ones like i'd love to do tequila i'd love to do gin so we're working on different partnerships um and we've done cognac and uh a peach brandy too right we did peach brandy mm-hmm. yeah so we've done different ones um as well that were really good but yeah whiskey there's a lot of great canadian whiskey distilleries uh even in niagara so that's just been a good one for us to go to 
Yeah. And I think, again, we are Canadian and we are as much as we want people to support us as a small local company. Uh, you know, if we can do the same, uh, of course. Mm-hmm. So Canadian whiskey, like, yeah, it's it's sort of synonymous, Canadian whiskey and spirits. So. Love it. I'm definitely going to try that sometime. <laughs> so you, you've told me a little bit about Manic Pixie Dream Coffee and what it's about. Um, but I wonder if we can focus on the ethical aspect a little bit. So from your perspective, what does it mean to be an ethical roaster fundamentally? Uh, Okay, so I think that we talked about sourcing. I think that is probably the thing that people should start off thinking about right off the bat. Uh, We need to make sure we're sourcing from places, like I said, where it's uh, people being paid fairly. It's good for the environment. Um, We're hearing a lot of stories coming about uh, climate change and how it's impacting the coffee industry. So let's make sure we're picking from farmers that are supporting their environment. They're growing varieties that are um, applicable to that environment. They're planting it in a way, like Casey said, with uh, coverage over the the coffee plants. Uh, So they'll they'll grow like different different types of vegetation around it. Basically not just growing it like a commodity where they're just planting a field of it. They actually are considering keeping all the natural vegetation and wildlife. I totally agree with that. It's really... It's funny, we, we do, you know, different, whatever, we interact with people on different areas and platforms, whether it be a podcast, which is a lot of fun, or just in person, uh, or at events or things. And I think one of the funny things, and, you know, ethical is, is I think, rolls into this, is I think people forget that coffee is a plant, and it is a mm. fruit, <laughs> and it needs to be grown by someone somewhere and just because it's sort of we got that out of sight out of mind kind of context here where it's like well yeah it's just coffee it comes in a bag and it's brown and it doesn't look like a fruit how could this grow on a tree it doesn't make any sense um so for us i think one of our biggest things is just to remind people you know there's a a, not just one person there's entire countries entire communities entire regions who rely on the farming of this product you know for their livelihood and you know we've just done such a great job here uh, in north america and canadians were very famous for a particular coffee chain that has basically just commoditized commoditized the you know the, the concept of coffee so it's you know not to sound preachy but it's it's funny to just remind people like that's a you know that is a plant that was a fruit this is the seed from a cherry like someone had to grow it that's why we used to do a lot of farmers markets because we go to farmers markets and we'd be around all these other local farmers. And oh, actually, we are farmers too. We have chickens and a whole garden. Um, homesteaders, homes, how about that? Homesteaders, and we was just it was just so much easier to explain it, or pointing at all these lovely farmers around us and saying, "Well, think of all the things they go through. You know, they they have to water their plants, they have to take care of them. If if one crop doesn't work." that's part of that's money that they've lost. And that's the same thing with the coffee farmer. And that's what people don't think about and the people picking it, right? Like if in, in Canada, can you imagine paying people no money to, to pick vegetables? Like you wouldn't find anyone to do it. Yeah, I, again, I work in an industry where we pick small things off of little trees. There's not a lot of Canadians lining up for that job. So, you know, the fact that we can hardly even get, people in this country to work in that kind of manner 
for our own products, it's kind of crazy to take it for granted for people who are making their entire livelihoods in other countries off of this. But anyway, so that's, yeah, I think that's the simplest way of saying what ethical coffee is. Just remind people it's a product (laughs) that someone has to grow. I have a solution, actually. Kristen and I, when we did our previous coffee episode, we were talking about perhaps growing coffee trees in our bathrooms. So maybe if everybody (laughs) who wants to drink coffee went ahead and put a tree in their bathtub, that might solve that problem. I don't know. What do you guys think? (laughs) You can grow coffee trees. You probably won't get much off of them, but you can definitely grow them. And they take, what, five years? I think it's like five years to establish themselves. It takes a long time. And uh, yeah, that's another thing people don't think about. But think how much water you would save not showering Ooh. for five years. <laughs> <laughs> no, I just think you could water it while you're showering. Yeah, there you I go. That's, that's recycling right yeah. there to its best. <laughs> All right. So growing a coffee tree in your bathroom, good idea. Will not produce any coffee. <laughs> <laughs> but you'll have a nice green plant. So I'm curious if you could tell me a little bit about like your approach to direct trading um, and why you went that route instead of going uh, for fair trade certification. Uh, What were some things you thought about there? Why is direct uh, trading good? So when we first started, we definitely did uh, have fair trade and organic coffees. And I'm definitely not against having them again. It's just not our primary, primary focus. We always were focused on, like I said, ethically sourced coffee and highest quality and single origin. So that was always our top priority. And then certifications like Rainforest Alliance, Fairtrade, the organic, all these like certifications were lower on the priority list. We just wanted to make sure step one is we are paying a a higher amount for the coffee and that people are being paid fairly to create that coffee. And then, like we said, we, we went to Honduras and we met a coffee farmer. And when you talk to farmers, you learn so much. And there's so much we don't know in Canada. We don't know that all these certifications cost tens of thousands of dollars to join. And on top of that, there's yearly fees that they have to pay to be part of it. So we support Erlin, who uh, his coffee farms called Coffee Rama Farms in Copan Runas, Honduras. His coffee farm is in a very small little town and he really embraces his town. So he provides jobs. He helps. Um, they had a bad hurricane go through, which we did a little Instagram live little fundraiser for. Um, but he helps with the road, fixing uh, fixing the roads, uh, feeding the community. He was helping a lot with that. And then he also does uh, special things for schools. And uh, yeah, he just, if you can actually find a farmer they're going to do so much for the community because that is their community. And then on, on top of that, yeah, he's going to care more about, you know, the wildlife and the, and uh, taking care of the land because he lives there. So for us, it just, it just kind of makes sense. It's so hard to be a small coffee farmer and to ever get any bigger because there's so many people taking um, money along the way. So he was talking about, uh, there's different processings that go into coffee production. And each time you process your coffee, you have to pay somebody. And then to get the coffee here, you have to pay people all along the way. By us paying him directly, he gets all of the money and he can put it to the best use. And he can make better quality coffee because he can do things like buy another coffee farm 
and plant different varieties. And he can make sure those are done in the correct way because he cares about where he lives. So I, it just makes the most sense. We obviously, the small business resonate with that too, right? If I, I think the one thing I want to say is these certifications definitely have their place. Um, but as a small business, we can recognize that, you know, maybe that's something that will bring benefit further down the line. But at this point to have that survival and to be able to hopefully thrive and whether it is again, to support a community or even just support yourselves so that you can live a life, you know, you, you have to be careful with your, your resources and the way that you spend your money. So we're privileged, I think in some capacity because of our size, we are growing, but we still have so much control over every decision we make that we don't have to kind of start relying on other organizations to tell us what's right and wrong. And we, we can still, like I said, get to these people, or even if we're not sourcing directly, which again is, is our, 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 the, the mainstay of what we attempt to do, you know, we can spend the time to work with the people to get to the farmers or to get the stories or to understand what's happening where, you know, there does come a, a point where scale kind of has to stop that for the continuation of growth of the company. And obviously that depends on your philosophies and success and all those kind of things, but that's not for this podcast. Yeah. I'm curious as well. Um, how, when you're sort of directly dealing with a, a coffee farmer, how do you decide on what a fair price looks like? Um, how did that sort of conversation happen? Uh, we actually just asked the farmer and talked to him. There is a C market, uh, which is kind of like the stock market for coffee. And you will see on really big coffee uh, companies' websites, they will have the seat market rate. And when you buy coffee, they will adjust it accordingly. But yeah, we just we just talked to him. We have an honest conversation with him and we push him to make us, to let us pay him a fair price on top of what he thinks is fair. Because, you know, we all have different opinions. And I say, I want to make sure that you, you know, you're making enough money here. So we we come up with the price together. And obviously, as he grows and has different coffees we can pay even more for the different coffees so yeah um, or we can buy more and there's an opportunity like any business right so prices are well you know like many businesses the prices are how much you buy and what you're buying and when you're buying it and i guess the c market i always kind of think of it this way like the c market if you talk to you know you talk to the farmers it's sort of like minimum wage Mm -hmm. It's, it's like kind of the base minimum you're supposed to pay for the coffee, but in the grand scheme of things, you can't really live off of it. You know, it's, it's, it's called minimum because it's the minimum. It's not, you know, it doesn't really stand for that minimum livable aspect. A lot of times small farmers get roped into this because they can't, they can't form these relationships because they're small. They don't have the resources. It goes back to everything we talked about mm -hmm. and they need to sell their products. And that's, that's the challenge. So it's, that's what we said. We let him set the price because he knows what he needs to get. Um, obviously we don't have endless, you know, endless cash flow. Um, so it, it can be a discussion and it often is. Yeah. So we, we uh, pay him and then shipping and extras gets tacked on. So the price we pay, which is decided on between the two of us is already is just, is just going towards the coffee production. It's not any of the extras that go in, because if I buy a coffee in Canada, they're going to give me a flat rate. Well, they had to take on shipping and all that stuff on top. So 
there's less money for the farmer because the the uh, the shipping and the brokerage and all this can add on a lot of fees. I am curious as you're as you're looking forward to the future. Um, are there any other you know places you're thinking of doing this direct sourcing from? Uh, what are what are you thinking about for the future? Yeah, I mean Africa. I would love to have coffee from there. It is like you said to get it from there is going to be a little more complicated. Um, it's a much farther trip, and we still actually haven't been to Africa. That was something we were planning on doing before COVID. But I think I think the probably most approachable will be just somewhere else in Central America. It's you know more people should go to Central America. It's only a four hour flight, <laughs> and it's beautiful. Like it's you'll see just parrots flying around everywhere, monkeys, and you know it's it's not too expensive. Um, so for us, it makes the most sense. We can fly out there. We can meet farmers. Uh, I'm also learning Spanish. So hopefully that will make that process easier. Um, and yeah, I think that makes the most sense. I think yeah. we, yeah, just somewhere else in Central America. I, I don't know. We have to just see. We, we are always flexible. What if we could talk about the environment a little bit? How do you think about the environment in your work? What are some of the areas where you would try to minimize the environmental impact? Packaging is a big one for us. Our, our, co- our actual coffee comes in bags and we know that's not ideal. We have heard of different things like uh, compostable bags, uh, but we've heard some negative feedback about them breaking down and shipping. And also are compostable bags really compostable? Who takes them? So for us, it's always been either we're doing bags or we're doing nothing. So zero waste. So fortunately, we don't have a coffee shop right now. I do have one local store um, named Pocket Change. And that is her whole focus is environmental and zero waste products. Uh, so she actually stocks her coffee in a glass jar. Someone comes and gets a, uh, the coffee in the glass jar and they return it and then they get the coffee and they get a discount because they're not paying for the packaging the second time. Uh, we also, uh, because we do local delivery, we have a growler refill program. So uh, we for every three growlers of coffee, you get a free uh, growler. So it's encouraging people to return the growlers. And um, then it's a zero waste option because for us, it's all about zero waste. We don't want to create more uh, garbage. Yes. And we also have done cans before, but we find cans because they can have a plastic lining. Uh, they're also not as recyclable as, as everyone thinks they're. So we're just always pushing as little waste and packaging as we can. And hopefully one day we have a cafe, we can make that basically just zero waste. I think, yeah, we're trying to make the best decisions we can at the time uh, for us. And we're trying to make the decisions that are the most suitable as well. Um, We're well aware we're far from perfect, but I think step one is realizing you can probably do something. Uh, So, you know, and that's, that's where things like, the growler program came around because we, we, you know, I'll be honest with you, you know, we're, we're definitely not perfect. We started that whole program in like hard single use juice containers. Right. Right. So, you know, we kind of realized, wait a second, this isn't a good idea. So when we ran through that product, we said, okay, we can do better than this. You know, it, we, we probably should. So I think at key junctions, we try and kind of, step up our game if necessary or, um, you know, and, and, and figure out what the best options are. So 
yeah, we're pretty we're pretty fond of the idea of like the zero waste return and reuse and sanitize kind of option. Um, but you know, it is we are again we're we're primarily a roastery. Uh, we're not a cafe. Uh, maybe one day, but not right now. Mm-hmm. And you know, because we don't have that really direct contact with the public that does definitely play a factor in trying to really get those programs going. Yeah. I love that though. I, and I love the, uh, the partnership that you have with the zero waste uh, grocery store. That's super cool. Uh, what about the roasting process? I'm curious about the environment and coffee roasting. Is that something you think about at all? Definitely. Uh, so all of our coffee grounds um, are compostable. So like I said before, we actually do have a hobby farm um, with chickens So we have a big compost. So we compost all of our coffee grounds. We compost all of the chaff that comes off the coffee when you roast it. Um, It's like a papery substance that comes off all the coffee. Um, So those are the big ones. I right now we are just using a a regular natural gas roaster. It, It was a used roaster. And that is the most common used roaster you can find. I would love one day to maybe look into an electric roaster. Um, so hopefully that's something we can, we can look into, like Casey said, just continue to improve. Yeah. And I do local delivery too. So we don't do as much shipping. We do a lot of just local delivery. I drive a hybrid. I use almost no gas. So it's, it's great. And honestly, so Kristen has a hybrid. She needed a new car. We've taught, we talk about these kind of things. I think everyone has these discussions, but I think a good point is it is a used roaster. It's a well-loved roaster. Again, in, in essence, they're quite simple machines, but we're not putting something else into market. We're not shipping something being built Mm -hmm. in another country over. Mm -hmm. And I think, you know, a lot of these commentary around electric cars and all stuff is don't run out and buy one tomorrow because it's Mm -hmm. better for the environment. And then literally make trash, you know, as a byproduct of getting a new pro, you know, a new car. So it's the same with this. We're using something. We take care of it. It is roasting. So there is like, things are, 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 are being created. There is, smoke and 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 you know just basic things just like there is cooking right that's why you have a vent above your oven at home um but we're very aware of that so we actually use an electrostatic scrubber to pull all of the debris out of the smoke before it's so sorry let me rephrase that out of the smoke so it is no longer smoke because smoke can't be smoked without debris um before it goes out into uh the environment and we also run it through a carbon filter uh, to eliminate uh, some of the particularly smells and stuff. And a lot of times when we're roasting, you, you, you couldn't even tell. There's really no sort of byproduct. And it's a much cleaner way of doing it than, say, like an afterburner or these kind of things that are quite mm. aggressive and trying to, you know, basically burn smoke, which is a burnt product. So it just seems a little more intuitive. So, yeah, no, we're, we're, we, we try where we can to be the best, uh, you know, we can. Considering how small you guys are and how you're just, you know, it's just the two of you making the stuff at home. If money was like no problem, like we didn't have to think about that side of it, what would you like to see? Like, what would you like to be doing on top of everything that you're already doing? If there's anything else that you would do? If we had money, I would have a cafe and I would do a zero waste program. Uh, We've talked about, we love pottery. I talked about doing a mug club so everybody who comes in can join this mug club. And when they come in, they have a mug and you're not bringing any, uh, you're not, we're not creating more waste uh, through coffee cups, 
And I would also really heavily encourage that with the to-go containers, bring your own to-go container, maybe a discount or something. Um, and then, yeah, like what we do with uh, our the grocery store, you bring in a container, I can zero it out and fill it up with coffee and we just have a price. That's all things we would love to do. I think that is the one thing that is difficult for us because we are so, so small. And we don't have the, the money right now for, for a cafe. Yeah. It's fun to think of these things because like I guess you said like if money is no budget – um, it's hard not to react like I would go see places. I would go yes, travel. That's true. Uh, which has all its own kind of side of things. That's true. Um, th- you know, that can be challenging. Um, but yeah, I think that's what I would do. If, uh, if we had more time to travel, I would just travel uh, much more and, and create these relationships and continue to bring awareness. And, more direct trade. And I think, yeah, exactly. More and I think that's... For sure. Regardless whether we have all the money in the world or not, I think that's still the path we're going down. You know, we're... Um, you know, we're a small but growing company. We have, you know, we've had to actually upsize twice now. So we are, you know, we're in a, we, we're in a, a proper roasting facility, um, in the, the town kind of adjacent to ours. And, uh, you know, we were able to kind of execute some of our stuff a little bit better and we could be more efficient and we're, you know, growing in that regard too. So it's, it's, again, it's, it's slow because we're trying to do it the way we want to, yeah, it's not actually really that slow. So maybe the day will come when those kind of very mundane dreams can come true. Yeah. <laughs> that make your own mug program sounds amazing. <laughs> That's what I want all my cafes to have. <laughs> yeah. Well, you know, it's funny. A lot of these concepts we're talking about, like the growler return and the mug thing I just mentioned, are based off of breweries. So breweries actually have implemented a lot of zero waste things. That's why we shouldn't be afraid to look at other people and other businesses to see what we could be doing better. Cause I think we all have this, you know, we don't either, we don't want to copy people or we want to think what we're doing is the best, but if we can look around, we might find other concepts and ideas that we could bring to our businesses. Right. I love that. That's great. For the coffee lovers who are listening to this podcast, uh, what would you recommend? Obviously, they're going to buy your coffee if they live in the area. Um, but if not, um, what should they think about? Hundred <laughs> percent. When you go into a cafe, you should ask them, "Where did you get your coffee from?" And that's not just because of us. I don't just want every cafe to pour coffee. That would be nice. I want people to be thinking more about where their coffee comes from. Great. So when you buy a a bag of coffee for yourself at home, which making coffee at home is obviously you can do it as environmentally friendly as possible. And also, you know, you're paying less money. Uh, But when you go to a cafe, you should ask them, like, where's your coffee from? Is it direct trade, fair trade, organic, all these things that matter to you? Because maybe you don't think about that. And um, I think if we just ask people, we might see some changes being made. Yeah. And I think honestly, you know, cafes are fantastic places, but maybe just drink more at home, make your yes. own coffees. Uh, you know, you can afford a lot higher quality coffee or maybe mm-hmm. a much more ethical coffee because it was, you know, uh, more appropriately supporting the train that gets it to where it is, you know, by drinking at home. You know, I we all know people who go out to whether it be a local cafe or more likely something a little bit more corporate, you know, and spend more money in a day on takeout coffee than we charge for a bag that would probably last you a week. So it just seems, you know, a little like a weird management 
um, financially for me personally. And also every time you go out, like still, you know, we can talk about all these cool things we can do, but it's a paper cup with a paper sleeve with a plastic lid. Most of those plastic lids are not really recyclable. Most of those paper cups, as we've all seen, the streets are everywhere. And also not always recyclable. And usually not recyclable because of lining and stuff. Mm -hmm. So if you want to do it, like start with what Kristen said, find out a place that's doing it right. And then don't be afraid of just, it's, you know, maybe change your, your coffee drinking habits a little bit. And you'll probably end up saving money too. I was going to also add uh, our number one nemesis, which is these, uh, you know, Nespresso's and Keurig's. They are not good for the environment. I I know they, some of them have recycling programs, but let's not create waste. Let's, you know, you can compost coffee. If, like I said, you can buy compostable uh, filters and the whole thing is compostable. We've had the same coffee pot. For five, six years now. Yeah, <laughs> like Everything goes into the compost. It's just... If you buy a good quality coffee pot, like a quality pour over, it'll last you forever. Mm-hmm. And and you'll save money because those K-cups and these things are, are, are yeah. Keurigs and stuff. They're not, they're not cheap. Yeah. We don't have to go into it. But yes, the, the disposable one-shot coffee is awful. Machines, pods, products. And also, it tastes like crap. You can buy a French press... And a cheap sky grinder for like $30, $40, you know, and then you're done. You don't do any more. And then if you want, you know, like fall down the rabbit hole like we did and and buy fancy uh, pour over kettles and, and fancy coffee pots and you can go to the extreme, but you don't need to. You really don't need to. And actually, I grind coffee for people when they order it. If they ask for it grind, I just grind it for them. So all you need. Is a French press or a cheap pour over and that's it. That's all you need. And for any of our listeners who maybe already have the K-cup machines, I'm pretty sure you can actually get like the reusable, like if you didn't want to throw away a perfectly good machine, I think you, it, I think there are like reusable like K-cups and maybe you could pop some local roasters coffee into them. I'm not sure. I'm not a coffee person, as we established at the beginning. But I remember us talking about it in our coffee episode, Kristen. <laughs> you can definitely do that. You can you can pop in a, a K-cup and, and use it up. And then when it eventually is done or you decide you want anymore and you find a better home for it, I think that would be the time to maybe reevaluate. I love that. Great advice. I really appreciate that you guys took the time to talk to us. Thank you so much. Well, thank you so much. It was just so great to be able to talk on a podcast to people that we think will really appreciate what we're saying. Yeah. I like treating people I know to like ethical coffee. So I'm really excited to to check it out. Awesome. And any listeners who would like to listen to more stuff that isn't Kristen and I, you can check out the Harbinger Media Network at harbingermedianetwork.com. And otherwise, we'll catch you on the next episode. 